0: Hi everyone. Before I play you this week's episode, I want to give you a quick heads up about the audio quality of this episode. Samantha, John, and I were outside in her backyard in Brooklyn while we were recording this episode, so you will hear some some wind, some birds chirping, and there's there's even a bit of construction uh, going on in the background. So I, I think you can mostly make out what we're saying, but I apologize for the poor quality, and I will try and do better in the future. And now I bring you. Samantha John. Welcome to the Future of Coding. This is Steve Krause. I'm really excited because today I have my friend Samantha John on the podcast. She's a true programming language expert. Um, Sam is the co-founder and current CEO, former CTO of Hopscotch, the award-winning app for the iPhone and iPad that allows people to create software on their fo- on their phones and iPads, and also like play these games and animations on their phones and iPads. Hopscotch has over 10 million downloads and and is used in 44% of schools with iPads. Sam's also uh, was formerly at Pivotal Labs and she studied pre-med, math, and English at Columbia University. Welcome Sam, Samantha.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: Um, So first thing I wanna say is um, like, as as you know, I teach uh, children how to code and we teach Scratch to kids and a lot of kids love Scratch um, but but, a lot, but there's also a lot of negativity around Scratch sometimes. Um, but I, I, in my experience, I've only heard positive things about Hopscotch, and in particular, kids are obsessed with Hopscotch. Like like there's a real like obsession and love for it that I don't see with Scratch sometimes. And so I'd love to get your sense about like why? Why do you think kids like it so much?
1: That's really nice to hear. First of all, um, making a product, sometimes you tend to focus a lot on what can be improved about it and you focus a lot on people's complaints about it so it's feels really nice to hear that people love hopscotch which we also we we hear that too and it's, it's very gratifying and really nice to hear that this product that you've worked so hard on is something that kids really enjoy. The things about hopscotch that people love I think when we first set out to create Hopscotch, we really wanted to focus on making a great experience on mobile and really taking an adva- advantage of what is really nice about the iPad and what feels really good about the iPad. So the touch interface on iPad is a very natural way to and when you do drag and drop on the desktop it can feel a little bit more tedious dragging something with a mouse really Mm. far on a screen sometimes you just wish that you could type in keyboard shortcuts um, versus on an iPad it's actually the opposite you never want the keyboard to come up because it always feels Mm. like it's interfering and dragging around feels like the more natural and native interaction so I think there must be some of that in that yeah hopscotch is very natural to its um, to its platform and then you know we did try really hard to make it nice and delightful (laughs) so I hope that that's just a sign that it's a good product and that and I think that you know speaking I can't really say why hopscotch in particular is uh, is loved by people versus just coding in particular mm. is loved by kids um, because I think that there is something very powerful for kids who who generally don't have a lot of agency in their life to be able to start learning coding and to start controlling these machines that they're using every day and realize that they can kind of pop the lid on mm. on this mysterious piece of technology that is permeates their life in so many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I um, definitely see that, and especially with hopscotch, I see that, um, as I've told you before, whenever I'm out and about in the world and I tell people what I do, I teach kids how to code or, or that I code myself, occasionally I'll get what is coding or I've always wanted to try that and I just love the fact that I can pull out my iPhone and, and open up hopscotch and I put it I put the phone in their hands and, and just, you know, tell them to click around and then they're coding. It's it's magical and I, I definitely see the agency. Like the people like light up and like like that's it, like that's what coding is?
1: Yeah. It's it's really fun to do user tests because kids just get so excited when they realize that they can make the type of stuff that they've been playing on their on their devices.
0: Yeah, it's it's super empowering. Um, so I one thing that uh, that I hear a lot from Scratch, and I was wondering, I I hear a lot from kids when they use Scratch, is that it's not real coding. It you know mm-hmm. like this experience is really fun and easy, um, but you know this this isn't real coding. It's babyish. It's mm-hmm. limited. It's child's play. What do you hear yeah. that, and what do you say to kids who say that?
1: So I I definitely hear from kids and from parents and teachers like what's next after hopscotch or, you know, but I think that a lot of what it has to do with is that they really are reaching the limits of the platform and the language. And in some ways, I think it could be considered babyish to some people because of the look and feel, but on a deeper level, there are certain things that you, as a programmer, want, and certain tools that programmers expect to have that aren't really built into something like Scratch and Hopscotch. Mm-hmm. And
0: like what, for example?
1: Um, an easy example is version control. Yeah, I know that I would be really lost if I didn't have version control. I even if I'm doing a really simple prototype. I think about an hour in is the limit where I need to start a Git repository and start saving versions because I just don't feel safe making changes knowing I could break things. So that is actually something that's really important for kids, maybe even more important for kids than for professional programmers in that everything is so new to them and I think a lot of them don't feel super confident in their computer skills. So to feel like you're always on the verge of messing up in this kind of Mm. irrevocable Mm. way Mm. where you could break your code forever makes you much more risk-averse, and it makes it harder to try new things and to um, go out on a limb. So I think that's a really kind of yeah, simple one that
0: totally.
1: that can be frustrating and then there's you know another issue should I just list all the issues yeah go for it I can go on for a really long time about um what's kind of inadequate about programming for kids I mean another really big one is just the ability to make good abstractions and mm. as as professional programmers that's basically all we think about all the time is what kind of abstractions does this language let me make? Does it have multiple inheritance? Does it have classical inheritance, prototype inheritance? Um, Is it functional? Is it, um, can you do, what are they called? Uh, Can you do like mix-ins? Can you do composition? And um, like, what's the right way to abstract these things? Like what's the right way to split up my code? And you really don't have any ability to do that You can make functions in hopscotch and scratch. And, you know, they're a trade in scratch, the functions are pretty buried, and I find them not super intuitive to use. uh, Though they do let you have parameters, so that's kind of powerful. In hopscotch, you actually can't put parameters into your functions, but they're much easier to use, and they're much more, um, they're kind of like a, a, a first class thing where. The first thing you see when you start coding in Hopscotch is is some of the functions. Mm. So yeah, I think
0: you guys do a really good job of that. In Scratch, there are some blocks that are really complicated, and you don't see how they work. But in, in Hopscotch, when you drag in a complicated block, like follow my finger, you can pop it open and see the code inside, so it like shows how it was made. I love that.
1: Yeah, um, and I wish that we did more of that, actually. I think actually, when I've thought about the blocks that we offer in Hopscotch, I think we probably should use... Many fewer blocks than we actually mm, do built yeah, in.
0: I could see that too. Uh,
1: so, for example, there's a turn block that um, that animates turning mm, however many yeah. degrees you put. But really, what it should be is just setting the property of angle. heading on the mm-hmm. or angle on on the character and in some sort of Loop. looped thing where you know you set a little bit at a time. I could uh, agree more so and then same with move it's like actually you're just setting the position a bunch of times in a row Mm -hmm. so I think that a lot of times when people think about how to make a programming language more powerful especially in the context of kids they immediately go to okay well you have to have bluetooth enabled so you can connect to hardware Mm -hmm. or you need to have connect to the camera or you need more you need physics blocks or more gravity (laughs) Um, well but Actually, what you need is more ability to do lower level things and so you can make them. those things yourself Yeah, so you can make those things yourself and that's where the real power of a language comes in
0: yeah totally i i couldn't agree more i um i always say that um i know a, like a programming language platform is like has the wrong level of traction if there's like a gravity button you can check you know like cl- like in like i think scratch proves this because You you can create gravity in like four lines of code in Scratch. It's like, it's such a great level of abstraction. And I think in Hopscotch, too, it's like pretty straightforward to create like, you know, gravity with acceleration. Uh, So that, like, if you have a language where they do that for you, like, something must be wrong. Like, it's so straightforward.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Physics is interesting. Um, Collisions
0: are hard. I haven't haven't figured out.
1: Collisions are hard for Hopscotch. Um, That's actually a big. I think this is another problem that Hopscotch has. I don't know how much Scratch has it, though I imagine they do. Is um, It's probably not as bad because we're on these devices, sometimes there are performance problems and I, I think we actually should spend more time on it than we do because I think there's kind of, it's a two-fold problem. One is that we try and make it easy for you to clone your object and instantiate new ones and what that means is, then you can do a lot of collisions. You could actually have collisions between every object. On one thing we have we added recently is you can say self. So you can say you can take an object, make a thousand clones, and say for each of those clones, when self collides with anything,
0: mm.
1: you know something happens, and and that actually has very poor performance. Uh, because you're doing a lot of collision checks
0: yeah
1: um you have a thousand selfs who have to check every tick if, if they're colliding with anything and it's just not going to work well and then if you're on an older device it's really not going to work well um and you can actually basically crash your ipad
0: yikes there, there are
1: definitely ways to crash your ipad with hopscotch um
0: <laughs> it's a good which, fun challenge
1: it's a fun challenge i it's i always I actually find that I'm this type of kid. I think there's two types of kids. There's there's the kids who, they're given a blank text box where they can type in a number and they type in four. <laughs> they're very, and, and they're very, they think about it for a long time. They're very cautious about it. And then there are other kids and they get a blank text box and they start just typing nines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They type
0: 999999
1: because nine, 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 they want to see what will happen or see if they can break the system. I am the type of kid who will type in the nines. Yeah, is something I've realized nice. about myself. So, I have to I have to be supportive of hopscotchers who <laughs> want to do that as well.
0: Totally, that's great. I I see it, the distinction as like kids always type the nines and adults type the four.
1: Oh no, no, there are a lot of kids who. But
0: I see those kids fourth. as like adults in a kid's body, <laughs> yeah. and you're a, a kid in an adult's body. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, cool. So I guess on the on the. Topic oh. Of, sorry, go. oh, yeah,
1: so then on the topic of collisions, we try and give you this power, but I think one thing we do a poor job of is actually making you aware that you are a little bit of in control of your, of your hopscotch game's performance. Mm. And that's something where we think kids aren't ready for that.
0: Yeah, that's hard. You know,
1: like, you don't have to worry about performance yet, but actually, you do. You do. <laughs> like, this isn't even really what I would call a full-fledged enough programming language for what you really need to be learning and you're already running into performance stuff so that's actually maybe just a first-class concern that people need to have when they start programming because they the thing is they do think about it we don't tell them about it but then they're mad when their when their game so, has bad performance or when it's slow and they blame us so yeah. blame yourself kids
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's tricky um, I I have this programming language Woof, uh, so I also like have to figure out collisions and stuff, and um, yeah, it's really tough, especially pixel perfect collisions. Do you guys do that, or is we it more bounding do. box? We do.
1: We do pixel perfect collisions, and then actually, our hack is that if I think if there are more than ten, first we do the bounding box collision, and if the, if there's a bounding box collision, then we'll do the pixel collision. And I think if there are more than ten bounding box collisions, well, you just won't do the pixel collisions. Oh, okay. You just give up.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that makes sense.
1: But even that, it's still
0: takes a while. Yeah. Because there's just so thing. many pixels sometimes.
1: There's a lot of pixels, especially yeah. on a you know
0: high resolution iPad. high high
1: resolution iPhone iPhone 3X. A lot of pixels in that in that <laughs> guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Luckily, it has a pretty good processor, but that
0: <laughs> can definitely cause problems. X. Yeah. Um... Like I've I, in Warfuck, we've like thought about like different sampling techniques, like pixels, so you can like.
1: You know, it's actually not that. I don't know if this is relevant to the podcast or not, but it's not that slow to do the pixel comparisons. The slow thing is to get the pixels.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, that's what I've found at least.
0: Huh? For yeah, for me in in, in JavaScript when I'm doing this in the browser, getting the pixels is no big deal. It's I like you just look at the profiler. It's like all of my time is spent, like, like iterating through. Like just running oh. through that array.
1: Oh, well, you know what we do also is that we take the um, we take the image and then downsample it, and then yeah, the...
0: yeah, that's basically what I need to do probably. Yeah, and the downsampling probably is most expensive. Downsampling
1: is expensive.
0: There you go. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, well, good good, good advice. Thank you. <laughs> You're I'll to, welcome. I'll have to apply that to my own <laughs> Uh Okay, got it. So yeah, there are plenty of things that you think Hopscotch needs to be like. Like a real language.
1: Yeah. From scratch. I, I, I think there are and and I think that a lot of times when we think about programming for kids, because the simple stuff is still hard to get started with. <laughs> we true. we worry so much about how can we teach kids to get the turtle to the jewel and how can we get kids just to make a simple sequence and make that really easy. And we've done an okay job of making that really easy. I would argue that a lot of kids still have trouble with it. But I think even more importantly, a lot of kids see that as somewhat trivial. And I think that's rightly so. Because they've seen other computer programs, and they know that on computer programs, people have solved drag-and-drop. So when you have to write a script to get your turtle to the jewel, they're a little bit thinking, what's the point of this? in a way that I think really harms people with math, where in elementary school, they're learning all this arithmetic and kind of these formulas for fact fractions and and, the, and kids look at that and they say, what's the point? And, and we don't have a good answer for them. So I think a, a, another kind of problem with teaching computer science to kids is that we often teach them things that are like quite trivial and, and don't really have a point and they, and they see that.
0: A lot of people when, when I talk about making programming easier and more intuitive, they think, oh yeah well that makes sense, like Scratch is easy and intuitive, you know, and, and we should make more intuitive languages for kids, but like adults, you know, for adults it will always be the, like as hard as it is, like we can't make it better for adults, like programming is programming. Do you believe that programming for adults can be made easier, um, do, you, do you think you, know, like, you can only do it for kids, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts there?
1: I definitely think programming for adults could be made easier. I think going at it from the angle of making programming for kids that is real programming is a good way to approach it. Yeah. Because kids are just so much more open than adults. If you look at the history of computing, there were the people writing machine code, and then the assembly people came along, and the machine code people said, that's not real programming. Yeah. And then the next stage was. Fortran's not real programming and yeah, yeah. Et, cetera, et cetera, on and on until the present day and but
0: now they're right in the sense that scratch really isn't real programming but you think
1: yeah it's not um well that's not fair it's not not real programming but it it's not, not full it's not sufficient it's not better than the programming that we do now mm-hmm. um it's not I'm not gonna be more productive with Scratch than I will be with JavaScript, despite the problems that JavaScript has.
0: Mm -hmm. Would you mind telling us a bit about the new project you're working on at Hopscotch?
1: So a big request that we've gotten from the Hopscotch community is that they really wanna see Hopscotch on the web. They wanna be able to do it in their browser, or I think basically just on their computer. And we've thought a lot about that, and we're actually now working on a version of Hopscotch for the web. Um, tentatively named HOP, which will stand for HOP-Oriented Programming.
0: Mm-hmm. I like the joke there.
1: Yeah, recursive acronym, just like GNU, is it <laughs> GNU, whatever that's called, and basically trying to address some of the issues that we see with Hopscotch and that we see with Scratch where we really feel like those languages aren't quite good enough as programming languages and we want to make something for kids that actually is a good enough, real enough programming language that they're not gonna hit this ceiling. And I think another kind of related problem to all this is that if you make a programming language that doesn't have the best features of programming languages, then that encourages you to program in a bad way.
0: Yeah, that's a real thing I, that you hear with kids from scratch, like you know, that they, they learn to make spaghetti code, they don't organize their code, yeah definitely real.
1: Really, so they start learning another language and then they feel like they don't know how to organize their code or their teachers say they don't know how to organize their code or how does
0: that? Yeah, that's a a good question. So there are a lot of patterns of thought that you'd want a kid to develop when they learn to develop complex pieces of software that they don't develop in Scratch which makes it hard to build Scratch games. So like it's it's noticeable just right there Mm -hmm. like when it's like pretty clear that a a student needs a function or and they don't have one, you know. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, like, like w- one example is um, is uh, you'll you'll have a kid who wants to make a, a, a choose your own adventure game where you can be a, like a man or a woman, and then once you're, you and then you choose like I, you live in Ar- Antarctica or mm-hmm. you know whatever somewhere else, um, and so you're picking all these options. Uh, so like, you know, I don't know if this is Scratch's fault or maybe just my fault for teaching for for not not encouraging this in their development but oftentimes what they'll do it's so easy in Scratch to right-click duplicate Mm -hmm. that they'll just have these really long pieces of code that are identical except like boy costume girl costume Antarctica Mm -hmm. or Africa yeah Um, and so like there's all this duplication and like scratch kind of encourages all that duplication uh, and they don't like
1: yeah that's the easiest thing to do yeah exactly the default thing to do is duplicate rather than abstract Exactly. or as I just I was reading this book by um, by Richard Gabriel called I forget what it's called I'll, I'll look it up um, but he was talking about abstraction in that sense where you make a function and then call it with different parameters and he made this point where he said well is that actually abstraction actually what it is is it's compression it's um, you know it's taking something that is longer and then making it making it shorter and smaller and that might not actually be useful for other people using your code if it's more compressed it might actually be harder to understand mm. though obviously there are benefits of compression he wasn't advocating against it um but i thought there was an interesting distinction to make
0: hmm. i definitely it's compressed because you know instead of having twice the amount of code you have you have half the amount of code yeah. and then, and then just a reference to that code, that definitely seems like compression. It, it seems like if you name that function well, then like, you know, like, um, uh, yeah, if you name that function well, it's um, it could it could in your mind stand for all the code and so like it's abstract yeah. in that way. Like, I guess you could just put a comment on the top and bottom of the section and describe what it does and it could be abstract.
1: Yeah, and then you wonder what does abstraction even mean? Yeah. yeah. And you can really get philosophical.
0: Well, so, so t- tell us in the context of Hop, what does attraction mean to you? Like, <laughs> what, what does do attraction do, mean? What are the powerful attractions you're building into Hop?
1: Uh, so, where Hop is right now is basically still very much in the research phase. We are building prototypes. We are looking at other languages. We are talking to kids, and we're looking at hopscotch and seeing what has worked and what hasn't. One of the ways that we're starting out, I mentioned earlier that I think a lot of the kind of first programs that you learn are quite trivial. So what we want to do is make sure that you can make some non-trivial programs in Hop. But not, you know, there are some kids who make non-trivial programs in hopscotch, really non-trivial. One kid made uh, made the game 2048 in hopscotch. Wow. We don't even have arrays. She basically implemented her own arrays <laughs> using her primitives which was, it's, very, it's a very impressive piece of software. But I think that is gonna be beyond the capabilities of most 10 year olds or eight year olds who are getting started with Hotscotch, even with a very detailed tutorial. Um, there's just too much that can go wrong. So we wanna design the language such that a normal 10 year old of normal motivation could, with a little bit of guidance, actually make something like 2048. Our, our, our test game actually is Candy Crush.
0: Wow, well like, uh, oh, which ver- like just like one screen of Candy Crush?
1: Um. Yeah, starting out with one screen, which is still actually like a pretty yeah. complicated game. I've been making it in JavaScript. I've made it like six different ways.
0: <laughs> nice, I just got into playing Candy Crush though. That's oh yeah? I, yeah?
1: Well, Candy Crush is cool because it's a game where it's so clear that only a computer, you could only play this game on a computer. There's no board game Candy Crush. Yeah,
0: that's a good point.
1: Because Candy Crush has this infinite fountain of candies that keeps (laughs) filling in the blank spots. And then there's the chain reactions and then you can add in all the bells and whistles. The
0: combos. Yeah,
1: the combos, the fireworks, the bombs, whatever, what have you. And that's something where if you can make Candy Crush you're like oh programming has enabled me to do something that i couldn't do with any other type of software i had to program this Mm.
0: um it's powerful
1: yeah it's very powerful so so we're trying to figure out what is needed for a normal person to make candy crush and it's been it's unearthed a lot of interesting things so for example i mentioned earlier version control yeah you really you need it you can't make a piece of software that big without version control or you some people can but most people can't Mm. um
0: so what what are your thoughts around how to build version control into a kid's programming language system
1: what are my thoughts i like yeah i haven't figured out exactly how it's gonna work i think you I think at the very least you need to be able to go back and forth in a timeline. Mm. You might need some sort of branching. Yeah. I think I'm not actually sure about this because I've heard kind of mixed things about tools like Git where actually I've heard kind of bad things from a lot of people who have tried to teach Git to beginners.
0: Yeah. It's hard.
1: Um, That it's really hard to teach people and it's really hard to understand the model. And I think because I've been programming for a long time, it feels yeah. like second nature to me. But at the same time, I think that there are these visual tools for Git where it, do- it just doesn't seem like it's actually a very difficult model. And you see people who aren't programmers almost sometimes make their own version of Git where they they just save a file with different, extent- mm. or different names or... You know, version one, version two, version 2B, two version yeah. three, whatever it is, like they, they make their own branching structure and it's just not connected. So I think that some combination of a, a visual tree of, of where your code has been could be really cool. And, and I actually have seen a couple of projects people have done to make something oh. like that more. Um,
0: uh, do you have anything off the top of your head I'd love to research see what those yeah
1: uh, these two guys um, well I don't know if this is if they ha- I don't know if they, that they've released it publicly but they have it on the web so I don't know if we should include this or not um, Guillermo something and Kevin something I can look up their names who I talked to have made this kind of cool little like version branching version control demo mm, um, neat that was cool. So I, I, I think some sort of interface like that. Um, one thing that I think is is kind of a philosophy that we have at Hopscotch, and just tends to work really well in almost every aspect of life, is to really deeply understand the problems you're trying to solve. And once you're there, it's actually not that hard to solve them. Wow. A lot of the trouble with, prob- with problem solving that I see is, especially if you're working with someone else, but even if you're just working with yourself, is that you mix up the different types of problems you're trying to solve. So, Mm. you think that you have a really good idea because it's solving one problem, but then you're ignoring another problem. Or you're talking to someone and you both have different ideas, and you both think your idea is right, but actually both ideas are solutions to slightly different problems, and Mm. you're never really going to see eye to eye. So if you can really understand the thing that kids need to get out of the system, then you can create a system that will do that for them. It's more when you start thinking, oh, version control would be cool, or "like debugging would be cool, this would be cool, how do we do this thing?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: without knowing the pain point that it's actually addressing, mm. that you kind of get muddled.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, that's super powerful. I, I found myself... Um, constantly doing the opposite of that like the wrong thing and it's it's such a time-waster I I, I was watching some Alan Kay videos this past week and and I think he does a pretty good job of articulating that you have to be like unbelievably focused on the problem and not on the solution and like because I think I fall into the trap of I know all these cool things I like I know how to program in all these cool ways like what can I make with the tools I have yeah totally uh, and then I end up like building solutions to problems that don't exist so what what techniques do you have to like keep yourself focused on the problem?
1: I think a good technique, and this is something Alan Kay has really encouraged us to do, is actually focusing on a problem, such right. as yeah. Candy Crush mm. or you know, what are what are things pick that one
0: one Yeah. yeah well he told
1: self. me to pick ten. Oh and then wow. I picked one. <laughs> he was, he said pick ten and then maybe do five. And I think I picked five, and I'm doing one. <laughs> Though you know, maybe eventually we'll do all five.
0: What are the other four?
1: One. Um, what are the other four? One of them is building a programming language
0: inside of it. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's huge.
1: Obviously, that's such a good one. It's so powerful. Um, he actually told us he suggested picking topics of, um, like topics that we think would be cool for kids to learn about mm. so one of them we cho- the one that I'm really focusing on right now is game design mm. so which game Makes design sense. is really interesting I mean first of all kids like it and then it touches on all these other cool topics which I think is true for any branch of knowledge <laughs> but I like Game design because it really starts to touch on, you know, what is it touches on like what is learning? How does how does the mind work? How does intelligence work? Because um, you kind of have to know those things to design a game that intelligence and that an intelligent person would enjoy playing. Um, yeah, I think and by th- an intelligent person, I mean a person because all people are intelligent. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think um, one thing that I see when when like we teach our kids to make games is most of the time they are focused on just making a game, and they're, they're like, like, ge- like designing a, a fun ga- game that's like uh, addicting, uh, yeah. and like thinking about game design. We, we, maybe like the tools aren't there, or maybe the kids are too young to like actually focus on those. I'd love kids to be able to focus on those things. Like wouldn't it be great if we had a 15 year old or a 12 year old make like, a block, but like the next blockbuster video <laughs> game? Like do you think that's possible?
1: I think it's definitely possible. I also think that you probably do have to get started on a more generic game.
0: Yeah. And then you work your way up.
1: But I think that there are also ways to think about games that we can give to kids that will be really useful to them. So just even realizing that there are different archetypes of games that they can make. So this is a side scroller. These are the properties of a side scroller. Now mm-hmm. fill in the blanks with your particular mm-hmm. side scroller. And, and that's really, I think, what they're doing when they get started, it's just that the the class of game that they start with is maybe not the most interesting class of game mm. but I think that's okay
0: mm.
1: I think it's useful for them to know that this is an archetype of game and these are the variables that you can change and, mm-hmm. and get started with that
0: yeah so this might not be an interesting question but um, it occurred to me that you probably get this a lot too like when, when I when you say when you talk about like oh I want to make it easier for people to develop games they say oh well unity exists like, like what, what else is there to do but what, how do you respond to something like that
1: Oh, interesting. I actually haven't gotten that too much. Um, maybe I don't talk to enough programmers. <laughs> I think Unity is. I think it's just still too hard for yeah. for most kids. I actually haven't used it much myself. Um, one thing, actually, we were talking about physics. The you know the turn on physics button yeah. earlier which I, I have some actually ambivalence about because I, I spent some time trying to implement a physics engine so first I was like okay let's have gravity and you know everything just falls at a constant rate but wait actually let's have acceleration so that you can jump but then like what about forces what about mass and then at some point I was like oh maybe someone's done this before and this is why everyone has the physics button and and so there's this library called box2d that basically i think everyone just uses to do their physics calculations that has done a very good job of modeling out newtonian physics and and i do think that at some point you want that you 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 know, as as a kid, it's interesting to start modeling out physics. And some kids might want to model out all of physics and re-implement Box2D. But I think there's also a lot of value in the fact that someone has made Box2D and that you can use that in your code. Mm. And, And I think this kind of gets at another issue with a lot of programming stuff for kids is that it's not very easy to share code or to... To use code that other people have written and and that's actually a really powerful thing in software is to be able to
0: libraries frameworks
1: yeah to have libraries and frameworks and to not just be building your own code but to be building code you know on top of the shoulders of giants
0: yeah totally i definitely yeah it's it's a it's a subtle point because i definitely like obviously want kids to be able to use libraries and frameworks and not have to reinvent the wheel every time they make their code um So, yeah, I can see that perspective. Yeah,
1: but you also want them to learn about physics because it's actually really fun and interesting. And and that is definitely the right, or, you know, I don't want to say right or wrong, but it is a very powerful way of making a lot of the types of things that people want to make, a lot of the games and simulations. If you start trying to program it such that you have to specify the path that something is going along the entire time, that quickly breaks down if you want to bump into something or jump or whatever it is to try and get that to look realistic is actually really difficult Mm. if you try and program like each position along the way but if you can do it with physics it's much easier so you want people to understand that they can use physics to model physical things and to kind of understand how that works and then at some point they want to use a library that does it better than they can do it themselves.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm sl- we're slowly coming to like unpack the, the distinction here. So Richie makes a distinction between simple things and easy things and so he says a simple thing is something that's um, easy to understand and, a, and, a, and an easy thing is something that uh, is like quick but might be very complicated to understand and so um, like a add gravity button that, yeah. you, that like, or like even, or like Rails. Like you know, sometimes Rails has things that like, where you, it's like very very easy to do something, but not at all simple. You have no clue how it's working under yeah. the hood. You can't customize it. You're like, you're handcuffed into exactly the presets that like it comes with. And so I think I'm totally down for having kids use a gravity engine that someone else made, as long as it's a simple one that they can go in and customize and understand themselves. Like, uh, and then Richard has this whole thing about how you can make simpler things, how you can make uh, simpler things easy so like building a whole uh, 2d graphics collision engine by yourself will be very simple but not very easy at all um, so if you could somehow make that process that simple process easier and i think the way you guys at hopscotch have um, have blocks that are very easy but then you know you pop them open you can see the code underneath they're mm-hmm. also simple so i think like that that distinction could be a good compromise
1: yeah yeah it's something i think about all the time in in so many aspects of life because it it relates to just technology as well where you know is it good that i can just order anything i want at any time from amazon and have it show up at my door two days later mm. i don't know i canceled amazon prime so i can't
0: Whoa. take um, that jeff bezos maybe he's not gonna be the richest yeah, person but in the world I anymore have, but i
1: have two alexas so <laughs> i really and i still order a lot of books on amazon i just have to wait for them i'm really
0: you're conflicted. I'm, I'm
1: doing very little to to stop the Jeff Bezos empire.
0: Mm, I see. Nor
1: do I am I even sure that I want to. But mm. I think you know. There's some people say that everyone everyone thinks technology should have stopped at about the time that they were 10 years old or 20 years old, whatever mm. it is. Yeah, of course. So, so they think that all technology after that is bad for humanity, and. I I can definitely see myself falling into that trap, but I also kind of think a lot of technology is bad for humanity, or or that too much convenience is not is not good for us. Um, so so I'm conflicted. <laughs> I can see that <laughs> both with both with coding and with life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see that. Uh, okay, I have a few more questions for you. So, what what's something that you know to be true about like the future of coding, where software development is going, that like almost nobody else understands?
1: that it's hard to say that you know anything about the future or. What are you like so sure here's, up, you know? But here's But here's something that I believe, it's a good idea to start with hard problems and start with programming models that scale. And a lot of the time we think that mm. it's okay to start teaching people things that don't scale and then mm. they'll learn the scalable things Later. Later.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I think it's really hard to change your mindset once you've gotten into one comparison I've heard is to the, that you're programming software as if you're a clock maker. And you make all these pieces, these intricate pieces that fit perfectly together, and you make this, this very mechanical system. And, and that really just doesn't scale. If one little piece of the clock breaks, then the whole thing is, is a bust and i think you need to start people programming in with models that actually do scale
0: so you're saying when uh the clockmaker analogy is like a like you're talking about the brittleness of yeah i think the
1: brittleness of code and the um the kind of all the interdependencies that everything Mm -hmm. has with each other and and the proceduralness yeah yeah i see and and we kind of think okay that's okay because that's like the easiest way to think about it starting out um but maybe it's i i kind of think it's better to to put people into uh, push people towards a a different model of thinking about their code from the start and then that way that way of thinking will be more natural to them
0: so maybe list of, like I have a feeling I know yeah. what that model of thinking would be, but like, what could you describe?
1: I'm I'm obviously very influenced by by Alan Kay and and Small Talk, and and the idea of objects, which I think that term has come to mean so many things, and it really was a very unfortunate name because when you think of an object, you think of a cup or a microphone or something very inert, and and I think what alan meant by objects was computers so the idea of object-oriented programming was that everything in your system was a computer and it was a full computer that could do all the things a computer could do um, and the idea was that you would program with these very powerful pieces mm-hmm. and so to
0: build on that just because the way the way i come to this understanding is i i see it as like some people like to see their code and data as separate yeah, and like Alan said, like what, like that's crazy. Like, why don't you put it all together? Yes,
1: it should all be together. Code and data should be together, and and I think also this idea that like uh, when you think of a computer, it's kind of this whole thing that doesn't really depend on other computers for its existence, and um, a, a, an extension of what what they did with object oriented programming was was um, the actor model, mm. where it became much more strict about what kind of messages you could pass and, and the type of encaps- encapsulation that an actor would have to have. Um, so if you look at something like Erling, which was built in the 80s, hmm. and um, it's... or er, So Erling is this programming language invented by Ericsson, the telecom company. Um, maybe listeners have owned a Sony Erickson phone at some point in their life. I know I did. And and the idea Erling there's a couple ideas behind Erling. It's very functional, but it also has this concept of um, of actors and processes that really don't depend on each other at all. Like all they can do is send messages to each other and they don't even depend on they send a message to something and you can't even depend on that thing still being there or you kind of expect that it might go down at any time. And because of that, they've been able to have this very, very reliable telecom system that I think in 20 years had like five minutes of downtime or something crazy. Wow. Um, Because they built it as a system where they they thought about the health of the system rather than the health of any individual actor. So it's built such that actors can have all sorts of problems and go down and whole data centers can go down, but the system doesn't depend on any part of itself hmm. actually working at any time. And I've never I, heard
0: that example. So powerful.
1: It's so powerful. And it's, I mean, that's how the internet works too. The internet hasn't really gone down since mm-hmm. ever.
0: I guess back to uh, Jeff Bezos, when Amazon goes Am- Am- down, the internet goes down. Uh, it does uh, b- a little b- bit because big, big, big it's portion a of little it. bit centralized. It's the important but... part is like Netflix.
1: <laughs> I know. I think Netflix is probably pretty resilient to Amazon going down at this point.
0: Really? I thought Netflix was entirely on Amazon.
1: They are? Well, um, but they're on a lot of data centers and they, have you heard of Chaos Monkey?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so Chaos
1: Monkey is, I love it. It's this thing that Netflix does where basically the Chaos Monkey just takes down random, just breaks random stuff at Netflix all the time and their system has to be resilient to the chaos monkey. Mm. So because of that, when things go down for real, mm. Netflix generally doesn't go down. That's great. Um, but you know, even when all the things that are when if all of Amazon went down, the internet would still work. That's true. <laughs> it it really the the internet doesn't is doesn't depend on anything.
0: Yeah. It's really powerful the de- decentralization. Uh, so like what in this space is like a distraction or overhyped
1: okay well one thing that i think i don't know if it's overhyped or a distraction but what i've seen in the coding for kids space is that a lot of energy and goodwill and um and smarts has gone into kind of trying to get computer science as, you know, trying to get people to take the AP computer science exam or trying to get more school districts to teach computer science Mm. or trying to get it in the curriculum. And maybe that's important, but I worry that they're missing the point of what they actually mean by computer science or what... It actually means for kids to learn computer science or why it might actually be important for them to learn it and I worry that they're we're teaching kids kind of like the arithmetic version of computer science where we might end up in this future where every kid has learned computer science and they all think that it's stupid and they hate it
0: yeah I think that's exactly the analogy to make that um uh, like we we do teach math already to every kid, and the vast majority of kids leave school thinking they're bad at math and hating math and never wanting to doing math. When in reality, they've never even learned like math as mathematicians do it. They learn this arithmetic. Yeah. Uh, they learn of,
1: to kind of blindly follow these algorithms of these yeah. arithmetic algorithms, and and then forget them as soon as the test is over. So so many adults tell me that they're bad at math. Mm-hmm. I mean my dad always tells me that he's bad at math which is super interesting to me because he runs a business, he runs a real estate business in Detroit and he has to do a lot of math to get that business working and to you know, know when it's worth it to buy a property and what the rent should be, what the rent needs to be to make sense. And that is, you know, his, I think his number sense is very, very good and his number instincts are very good but yet he still thinks he can't do math because he didn't do well in math in school and apparently his older brother used to hit him on the head with a math book when he got questions wrong so maybe that was also pretty scarring um so i think a lot of people are actually perfectly capable of doing math in in a practical situation and completely incapable of doing it in this school situation um, so maybe that will happen with computer science. There will be an underground computer science that everyone actually uses, but the mm. thing they teach in school, everyone will think they're bad at.
0: Yeah, no, I think about this a lot, and I, I think the analogy of math like really lines up perfectly. In um, when we were like trying to erase the Soviets into space, there was this like big push to get uh, calculus in every high school so we could have more um, rocket engineers. And guess what? Those people were successful. Like there is calculus in, in virtually every high school in America, and their success i i would argue made the world worse off like calculus is a terrible math to teach kids in high school we should de- we should teach statistics or a much more hmm. applicable math that's easier to learn makes kids and gives them much more practical useful knowledge because almost nobody ever used calculus in their daily life
1: yeah and statistics are so useful to know
0: yeah so um, and not
1: very intuitive but
0: yeah and that's part once of why they're you're so, good useful. At it,
1: it's so useful
0: yeah because it, it like it changes the way you see the world so um I'm so worried, as you are, with this this new equivalent craze of oh, there aren't enough software engineers. We need to like create more software engineers. Let's get coding in every high school. Like, you know, we're probably going to succeed, but you know, are we going to succeed or we're going to achieve failure, as Eric Reese says in the Lean Startup, where you achieve what you set out to, but you actually don't achieve your your like ultimate. Your ultimate yeah,
1: failure. I just had a conversation with a friend yesterday, actually, where he was saying. Well, you know this woman, Carly Kloss, who's mm, yeah. who's a big advocate for for computer science education, has also become started advertising for Wix,
0: mm.
1: the kind of website creator thing. He's like, well, isn't that like the opposite? <laughs> because Wix will like eliminate the need for programmers. Mm. But you know, if we think computer science education is is going to be is going to create jobs that will be eliminated by WYSIWYG website creators, then like. We're already very lost.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So, so, it's a good point. And people talk about that a lot like, why teach kids to code? It's all going to look so different by yeah, the time they become I, adults.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it, which is why I think what's more important is to teach them actual computing because understanding what is powerful about computers and what you can do with them and the ways that you can think about them, I think, isn't that's more of an invariant than yeah. you know teaching people how to write procedures.
0: Totally I think uh, yeah like the analogy we've, we've made to math fits so like teaching kids arithmetic isn't important but teaching kids well it's somewhat important but uh, the, the skills that are really important for math are being precise with your wording arguing from definitions uh, like following logical trains of yeah. thought and then computer science. Or even just
1: understanding numbers.
0: Yeah even, and like numerical thinking exactly um, and then um, from a, from a computer science perspective, I really love Chris Granger's article uh, that says coding is not the new literacy. Modeling is 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 the new literacy, and computers uh, computers uh, c- can enable modeling. You know, if you have the right programming language. But um, yeah, but co- coding is isn't isn't the real core skill here. Yeah. Cool. So uh, two more questions. So, what person technology in the space should we keep our eye on besides Hop and Hopscotch?
1: <laughs> um. Oh, that's interesting. In in the in the learn-to-code space?
0: Yeah, well, you could do that. Or I'm more asking in the fu- in the future of coding space.
1: The future of coding space. A big influence for me is um, is Brett Victor, who
0: <laughs> Although I
1: feel like if you're listening to this, you probably know who Brett Victor
0: is. <laughs> yeah, I've mentioned him once or <laughs> twice in this podcast. <laughs> and we'll maybe mention him once or twice more.
1: Yeah, he's doing some really cool stuff. Um, he's actually right now working on this physical space mm. he basically thinks that computers are over <laughs> or computers as like a, as a unit are over but that everything should be a computer. Mm. so he has he's building out this space where um, I don't think that's a secret but <laughs> it's not he's building out this space where basically you know any surface can be a computer and um, any surface can be a screen and you can go and like program any surface in the space and and then you can like take two surfaces and put them together to make a bigger screen or you can split them apart to make two screens and and a lot of really interesting things kind of follow from that and i'm not explaining it well it's very it's like you (laughs) kind of have to be there to see it um but i buy that you know that guy is really smart
0: (laughs) yeah i sometimes i think that because he did so much work on user interface design and the future of programming languages and the future of computing, and and now it seems like yeah he's moved on a little bit. Um,
1: no, he's still thinking about the future of computing.
0: Okay, um, I, just, I guess he hasn't published stuff maybe recently that I've seen.
1: Oh yeah, I think he's been working on this this space and you know, eventually mm-hmm.
0: will go back to it. Yeah. yeah. My, my thought. Well, eventually,
1: public like you know start talking big, about yeah, it. Yeah. That's a,
0: that's a good point. Um, my thought. Um, is that like he's, he has said so many wonderful things about the future of computing? That like sometimes I get the feeling from him that it's like I've said what needs to be said. Like go be inspired by what I've said and build it. Like already. Like you know. Like he. Like I get the feeling that he like he feel like he's done his piece and it's like up to us to like take it from there.
1: Oh no, I don't think that's quite true. Um,
0: and you, I, you you've met him so, so yeah yeah so you tell me.
1: Oh I don't. It's hard to hard to explain someone else's motivations or even understand them. <laughs> um, but I think that Brett really cares about things being done well and with like proper planning and knowledge. So when he says, you know, here are some good ideas, he is not telling you to go out and build what he said because his ideas are just the start of it. He's mm. kind of telling you to go out and like read 20 textbooks, <laughs> and then like spend 10 years building what he said to mm. do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm doing it. <laughs> I like to send him an email, you know, every like two or three months. I've only got one reply in all the years I've been doing this, but. Uh,
1: you really send him an email every two or three months?
0: Yeah. That's yeah. really funny. It, it, what do you say to him? Uh, depend, depends on the, the point of my life. I think the first thing I sent to him was uh, right after I watched his first video, um, Inventing a Principle. And I, I was basically like, I'm a freshman in college, and tell me what to do with my life. Like, like I just want to, like, just, <laughs> tell
1: just, me like, what to do with my I, life. I, like, I, I will do whatever you say.
0: <laughs> like, I just, I like, I believe That's in your hilarious. mission. Just, like, tell me what to do with my life. Did he
1: reply? He probably did not reply to that. No, he
0: did not reply to that. <laughs> and then over the years, like, I figured out what to do with my life, you know, and, and he was an inspiration for so much of it. And, um,. And uh, you know maybe maybe one day a dream will come true and and he'll, he'll be on this podcast. What did
1: what did he what did he um, which to? one did he respond to?
0: Um, I, I I wrote a when Seymour Papert died who was uh-huh. like uh, I wrote a eulogy for him and I sent I sent it on to Mitch Resnick uh-huh. who invited me to a, to a celebration of Seymour Papert's life in MIT uh-huh. and uh, and so I I. I replied to this uh, a recent email I sent to Fred Victor and said, "Oh, my, like I just want to check if you would read my email. You know, you know, might as well check, double check." And by the way, like I'm going to this event. Like, will I see you there? And, and he replied, "No, I didn't see that event was happening. I won't be there." <laughs> <laughs> that's, but you know, at least I know that um, his, email, his email his email just works. You know, <laughs> like, like they aren't going to spam folder. So
1: that's really funny.
0: Yeah, maybe one day I'll come up with something interesting enough to say that I'll, that I'll get a, a real response. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it.
1: <laughs> um, that's really funny. Um, yeah, Brett. He's great. He's oh yeah. He's very smart. He um. He thinks very deeply about things. And and I think doesn't. It feels frustrated sometimes by the way that a lot of people don't think deeply about things where they kind of just read his blog post and Mm -hmm. and then
0: think there's a quick fix
1: yeah and let's hack it together yes exactly and he's very much not about hacking it together and that's why he often won't release the stuff that he does his code yeah because he I mean and I, I have this feeling too where there's this fear that or you can release something and if you build something in three months and release it, like, what is the worst thing that could happen? Is it that it no one uses it, or is it that everyone uses it? Mm-hmm. And now you've put out this, like, poorly thought through thing that you hacked together, and now millions and millions of people <laughs> are using this, and maybe you've, like, changed the course of history with this thing that you didn't even think through in the first place.
0: Oh, wow. Damn, that's, that's deep. I don't think many people in Silicon Valley think that like they they don't their brain stops when you say millions of users there's a possibility of millions of users like let's go there (laughs) they don't think uh, about how how yeah how like their success might be bad for the world yeah that's it's it's very humble and Mm -hmm. very refreshing to have someone think so deeply and so benevolently on behalf of the rest of us (laughs) Uh, all right so there's a a question I don't know if this will be useful but is there anything that you need help with that you'd like people to reach out to you Help you with, or or anything that you would like to help others with, you know. I'm I'm trying to foster this community of of people who are trying to build like the future of programming. So, is there anything that that, you know you want to say to that community?
1: Um, I mean, I'm always happy to get emails, and well, if you write me a long random email about your ideas of the future of programming, I'll probably answer it. (laughs) Um, Because I don't get that many (laughs) I'm not that famous so I don't get that many emails and I also like writing long emails um
0: I can I can attest to that I've, I've we've written long emails back and forth
1: yeah um and and I find it I find it fun because I like writing and and I find that writing a good email is is a good it can be a fun exercise so if you write me a good email I'll I'll try and write an equivalently good one back
0: nice um, cool. So uh, do you have any links, uh, social, Twitter handles, website that you want to share?
1: Oh, um, well, com is where you can find Hopscotch. And our Twitter handle is at Hopscotch, so look us up there. You can tweet at me at, at SamJ0HN.
0: Cool. I'll put that in the, in the notes. <laughs> um, great. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking. I really appreciate it, Sam.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me on your show. (laughs) I feel so honored.
0: Oh yeah. Um, well, I'll see you later.
1: (laughs) Bye.